You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Sports Illustrated's Coronavirus and Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today, the NHL. We'll be talking to SI senior writer Alex Pruitt, breaking down the league's reaction to the pandemic and how it works around its heavy schedule, as it was forced to pause its current season in mid-March. We'll also be talking to SI legal analyst and writer Michael McCann as we try to answer legal questions regarding leagues, franchises, and the key issues that have surfaced as a result of COVID-19. There's something truly unique about ice hockey. Aside from the incredible skill set you need to be a professional hockey player, the sport also offers you a sense of community many don't possess. From entering the rink to the closeness fans can experience inside an arena, the NHL delivers an environment few sports can offer. The league now finds itself in waiting period, but with hopes the puck can be dropped sooner rather than later. Joining us now is senior writer Alex Pruitt. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Alex, let's get straight to it. How did the NHL react when the pandemic first started shutting down leagues? Uh, when the Utah Jazz and the Thunder sequestered their locker room and um, all the sports world is, is really wondering what's going on. And obviously the end result is Rudy Gobert's positive test that does short, shut down um, all sports. It, I think the NHL was kind of in the loop. Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly told me he, he gets home that night and gets a call from Gary Bettman as the Thunder Jazz game is going on, basically alerting him that, hey, this is coming down the pike. Um, some of the NBA is about to test positive. This was clearly on the radar, as it was for um, the rest of society. But uh, I think once the NBA shut down, the NHL had a little bit of housekeeping to do with, with the NHLPA. The NBA paused on um, March 11th. The NHL announced something similar the next day on March 12th after a board of governors call. And then the official pause of season memo um, kind of explaining all of this, laying all this out in detail, um, goes out to teams, GMs, presidents, medical directors, players, coaches uh, on the 13th. 
Alex, you have a story on SI.com about the NHL's lack of testing of its athletes, drawing a direct contrast with the NBA. Why has there been such a disparity between the two leagues? Yeah, I mean, it's a hot button issue in um, all of society, right? Especially in this country, the lack of tests, um, the lack of avail- available tests for especially needy people, people with underlying conditions, the elderly, people who really need them. And um, not just in the NBA, but um, celebrities everywhere jumping at the front of the line has, has obviously caused um, a bit of an uproar. Um, it's my understanding, though, that the NHL's policy from from the beginning, and, and when I say beginning, I mean even predating Rudy Gobert, um, has basically been don't mass test. That's against the recommendations of Health Canada and the CDC. And I think an, an argument could have been made that, and I guess the NBA did try to make this argument that their players are, you know, quote unquote, super spreaders, that when they're interacting with fans and when they're traveling on planes and um, hopping to three different cities in five nights or whatever, that you need to test, that you need to test everyone and make sure if they're carrying the disease. Um, but at this point, uh, now that everyone's at their home, what are they going to do? They're going to go test positive and then get told to go home anyway. So unless you're you know, truly symptomatic, um, unless you have underlying health conditions, it's not in the best interest of you know, society to, to go get tested if you don't have these underlying issues. So you know, I guess low bar, but kudos to the NHL for, for doing the socially responsible thing here. So that's kind of the issue, right, is um, people using their access, using favoritism to be able to use their money to be able to jump to the front of the line and um, get tests when uh, when other people need them so badly. So the league did something interesting. It held a Zoom call where a player from each team answered questions from the media. How are players feeling right now about the pandemic and, and how the league should proceed? Yeah, the Zoom calls have been maybe the best thing to come out of all this from the league's standpoint. Um, it's been a really good chance to get to kind of hear players' unfiltered opinions and digging into hard stuff. You know, how, how should the season look when it resumes? Um, should they go right into the playoffs or start with, you know, a little bit of a kind of brief regular season conclusion before ramping it up into the postseason? Um, and then obviously just kind of how guys are feeling. Like you said, I think like the rest of society, there's there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of nervousness. Guys are kind of in their own little worlds, spending, spending time with their families. Um, I think the tricky part for hockey players is that you can't skate. Um, there's no public ice available. You can't go to your team facility and skate. And um, obviously skating is such a unique um, athletic skill set to have that you really need to get into a ring. So I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what the ramp up will be back into playing for some of these players for whom workouts is, you know, consisted of, you know, taking a little rollerblade around the neighborhood or shooting pucks on the net in your basement or something like that. It's, it's very, very hard I think there's probably an even bigger gap in hockey than in other sports to replicate um, what you need in order to train to actually play games again. Yeah, that's such a good point. Access is such a key thing for ice hockey players. As of this recording, the NHL seems pretty adamant, Alex, that it wants to not just do the playoffs, but finish the season. Uh, And what would a playoff format look like if it was a shortened one at that? You're right that the NHL has been steadfast and it's... um, its desire to award a Stanley Cup. Um, they haven't had a canceled season where the Stanley Cup hasn't been awarded since um, was it the 1918-1919 flu, um, where the Stanley Cup ended in a tie. So since then, I mean, it's it's been obviously part of their heritage. And um, obviously with the Olympics now being postponed to 2021, that opens up, um, especially in the U.S. with their rights holder on NBC, um, a big bacon television gap that I think that they would, um, it would behoove them financially to fill um, I, th- I think everything's pretty much on the table at this point. Obviously, a lot depends on exactly when they come back. I think most teams have between 10 and 12 games remaining. So whether they um, have enough time to get all those in and then go straight into um, the postseason, I guess that's on the table. 
um, depending on when the, you know, the country reopens and the curve flattens and all that. Now, if they aren't able to start playing until August, September, then you're starting to bump up against, you know, their, their intent to play a full 82 game schedule in 2020, 2021. I personally would like to see them get a little creative with it. You know, I think it's a good opportunity for the NHL. They've changed their playoff, um, the playoff format in the past this is not some like ironclad, you know, best of seven wild card thing where, you know, it's, it's locked in history dating back to the 1910s. Um, they have an opportunity here to get creative, to um, inject a little bit of excitement uh, coming back in. And, um, you know, obviously I, I think you want to reward the teams that have gone through the grind of, of pretty much a full schedule, you know, seven eighths of a full schedule and um, are currently sitting in a playoff position. But um, I think it would be exciting to give some of the teams in the bottom half a chance to uh, something to play for, at least, you know, whether it's coming back into the playoffs or, um, you know, jockeying for their lottery position, whatever, everything's on the table at this point. Finally, Alex, I mean, we're talking about professional ice hockey and the big leagues, but hockey, as you know very well, is such a tight-knit community, you know, from yeah. youth level, amateur level, kids that just love playing it. As you mentioned, you need such a specific access to it on uh, skating rinks. What do you think this community is missing the most, if it's just one thing or many? Yeah, maybe that closeness, maybe just ice time. Um I think a journalist named Shang Peng had a, had a great story out in San Jose talking about the impact that this has had um, just on local Bay Area youth ice hockey. And it's obviously the case with with youth sports and sports of all other really activities of, of any nature where you, it involves public gatherings. So um, I think hockey in, in that regard is kind of in the same boat as the rest of us where, you know, it's something we love to do. Um, it's our passion, but the right thing now is just to, to stay away and wait until it gets better and, um, and who knows, maybe registration will skyrocket as everyone rushes back to the rink and tries to find some sense of normalcy again. Sense of normalcy, indeed. Alex Pruitt, senior writer, Sports Illustrated. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great work here. When it comes to coronavirus, the NHL, as Alex mentioned, can only imitate other leagues and simply wait to see what unfolds. But the problem is that this waiting period also provides another issue, and that's the legal complexities that are introduced when you suspend the season, take away salaries, and rewrite health and safety regulations. There are also negotiations that have to be made. Who gets tested? How long should a season be? And speaking of revenue and marketing, can league commissioners use their powers in order to say who gets what and for how long? These are all legal complications that every sports franchise and league has to deal with. Joining us now is Sports Illustrated legal analyst and writer Michael McCann. Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Michael, let's get straight into it from a legal standpoint. Paint some broad strokes for us. We've covered a lot of ground on this podcast on various leagues and athletes in the U.S., from a legal standpoint, what does the landscape for sports look like right now? Well, from a legal standpoint, there are a couple things going on. One is that the relationship between players and owners is in hiatus, essentially, because games aren't happening. The relationship between the league and players and therefore management and the union really is just sort of hit the pause button. And as a result, we're going to have to figure out Assuming this pandemic continues for a while, what is going to be the consequences to players in terms of whether they get paid, right? At the end of the day, that's sort of a, obviously a key consideration for them. 
And for the league, the lack of revenue from games not being played is also very meaningful. So there's that relationship between league and players that, again, has, has hit the pause button and there's great uncertainty as to how that's going to play out. And then the second thing going on, I would say, is sponsors, networks, other businesses that are connected to the playing of sports, many of which have contracts with the leagues and in some cases the players, companies that have paid players to endorse their products. All of these companies may not be direct participants in games, but they have a stake in what's going on and could lose a lot of money. And then I would just say within that sphere, both of those spheres, I would say there are all sorts of workers that are impacted by this. Arena workers, stadium workers, ballpark workers, a lot of them are part-time, a lot of them really rely on this on the wages that they earn at games that expected the wages to come and then they won't be paid. Now, in some cases, teams have helped out for the short term, but it's unclear whether that's going to continue into the summer. So it's, it's obviously all concerning and is all contingent upon this virus and the hope that better treatments are available, that eventually a vaccine and cure come up, but we just don't know how long it's going to take. Let's focus on specifics. The NBA has tested at a very high rate for the coronavirus, while the NHL has barely tested at all. What is the reason for this, and are there any legal ramifications going forward? I think the the initial reason is that Rudy Gobert tested positive for it, and that prompted public health officials uh, in Oklahoma City to say, we need to shut this down, essentially. We need to put uh, the players in quarantine. And at that point, the NBA lost control, if you will. So, so I would say, as a starting point, the NBA would say it wasn't their choice at the get-go, that once a player tested positive, there became a public health concern that other people could have been infected. And then secondly, going forward, the NBA has consulted with doctors who have told them players are considered super spreaders. That's the term that because they travel a lot, because they're public figures, because they're recognizable, that, that's actually an infectious concern, right? Because they could inadvertently give it. So the league has justified testing of teams on grounds that they are considered super spreaders, that it's in the interest of public health. There has been some pushback to that as a, a lot of Americans and people across the world haven't have access to tests. I think there's a concern that you know, why are NBA players getting that access, but people who are symptomatic that may not have those kinds of resources? I mean, that, that's, those are all fair questions. Uh, and I think in terms of the NHL, I think that the league has figured, you know, there's nothing going on right now. We don't have any really reason to compel players to be tested. And we'll just see how it plays out. But of course, when the games resume, the issue of testing is going to come back. Moving on to MLB, uh, they recently you know, came to agreements and meetings with MLB Players Association, or at least recently agreeing to a shortened season and what that would look like. Tell us about the deal, and is this a possible blueprint for other leagues to follow? Yeah, it's a, it's a good deal in the sense that they've, the Players Association in baseball and the league have figured out what happens going forward for this year. And that's something that the other leagues haven't figured out yet. The teams are on the hook for, I think, about $4 billion this year. Players will get roughly 5% of that, even if there are no games. So they will get some wages, and most of those wages will go to lower-paid players. 
Now, it's worth noting the league had leverage here because the collective bargaining agreement has the uniform player contract in it, and paragraph 11 of it contains something called the National Emergency Clause, a clause that we'd never think would be used uh, until now. The clause basically says if there is a national emergency that's declared, baseball can stop paying players. The league really had the leverage. The fact that the players got about 5% may not seem like a lot, but is actually something. They also figured out what to do with service time because in baseball, access to arbitration and access to free agency is contingent upon how many years you've been in the league. And a, a year where there are no games played, what happens then? Do they, the players lose a year of service time? Uh, do players still become free agents? Or are they obligated going forward? And the league agreed that players still get service time. So Mookie Betts, you know, there's a, a good example. The Red Sox traded him to the Dodgers. He's a former MVP. The Dodgers knew they would only get him for this year or they hope to resign him, but they're at least getting him for this season. Well, what happens now if there's no season? Unfortunately for the Dodgers, they could lose him for nothing. I mean, they get draft pick compensation if they lose him, but under this arrangement, Mookie Betts gets full service time in the, even if there are no games being played. So the, the big thing from this agreement is the league and the Players Association have, have dealt with some thorny issues in a way that gives them clarity going forward. The other leagues don't have that. And the, the, the question about, is this a blueprint? Yeah, I think potentially. Uh, I think it's potentially a blueprint. Now, the other leagues have their own CBA, so they'd have to work through that. But it at least gives hope that the other leagues can figure out what to do. You mentioned that clause. Do other leagues have that clause? Uh, could, they, could they have made it active themselves? It sounds like a, a, an almost valiant thing from MLB to say, don't worry about this clause, we'll take care of it. Yeah, there, uh, other leagues have similar verbiage. So in the NBA, there's a force majeure clause. And the force majeure clause says if there is a, essentially an act of God, so a pandemic, terrorist attack, something really just unforeseen, dramatic, out of the control of anyone. If something like that happens, the league can suspend can suspend or terminate the collective bargaining agreement, which allows teams to no longer pay players to the same extent. Now, it gets complicated with the math because there's fractions of number of games played, but very basically, it gives the league leverage. Moving on to the giant, the NFL. Roger Goodell released a statement saying the NFL draft would proceed a scheduled and threatened disciplinary action for public discussion of issues related to the draft. I just quoted him right there. What kind of discussion and what kind of discipline is he talking about? Yeah, my guess is that discussion is to question the is for owners and general managers to question why are they doing it, that this is a pandemic, that this really isn't that important, that we should suspend these activities, or potentially argue that it's somehow a health risk, although I don't quite see that, given that it will all be done remotely. But I think there's a sense that why are we having a draft when we don't know even if there's going to be a season? So that line of criticism that could be leveled by various people connected to the, to the NFL and its teams, the commissioner wants to deter that from happening because it would create uncertainty. Now, should the commissioner come out and say that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't see Adam Silver doing that in the NBA to try to quash dissent. Uh, but Goodell, I think, rules with more of an iron fist than other commissioners. 
And also, it's within his authority. I've had some people say, well, isn't that free speech? No. I mean, the fact is free speech, the First Amendment protects us from the government taking action against us for what we say. It doesn't protect us from our employers or other private businesses doing that. You know, the concept of free speech is much more limited than I think it gets often played out in the public. Michael, let's end it on just, I just want to get your opinion. What legal development over the last two weeks has surprised you the most? Has there been something that you have seen from anything, anything in the sporting world where you've just thought from a legal standpoint, this has shocked you a little bit? Well, I I think baseball and the Players Association reaching a deal so quickly, that was not expected, that they could quickly hatch out an agreement. These are two groups that don't get along historically. And the fact that they found that common ground is a sign of hope that sort of cooler heads can prevail in a time of tension and that longstanding grievances or distrust can be put aside to reach an agreement. Michael McCann, Sports Illustrated legal expert, legal analyst and writer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. In our conversations, we learned today that aside from the pandemic itself, the other frightening component is the unknown. Whether you're the NHL or another U.S. professional sports league, the planning to complete a season might as well be written on a blank page because the answers can't quite come yet. But as Michael noted, leagues such as MLB and its players' associations are proving that as long as folks are communicating and working together, certain factors such as length of play, contract negotiations, and revenue can at the very least meet in the middle. Thanks to Alex Pruitt and Michael McCann for joining me today. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time.